Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Welcome. My name is Susie Price, and I'm so glad to be here. Uh, In this podcast, I bring more than 20 years of experience in employee selection and professional development as a professional facilitator, consultant, trainer, author, leader, and human resource professional. And this is episode number four. And this is the place to be if you want to build a Wake Up Eager workforce. And we focus on topics that are of interest to talent management. That is my passion and what I have been doing in my own business since, gosh, 2004. And so I'm excited about today's topic. The show notes for today can be found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash, slash, can't say it, Gen Y, G-E-N-Y, and that's all lowercase, and that's the letter Y. And guess what we're talking about? Generation Y. Today's topic is, the title is How to Train and Retain the Millennial Employee. And I have to tell you the truth, I really was not focused on this topic. I have had a little bit of a bent of all people are people, and at our core, there are some things, basic things that we need and want in order to be successful. But I'm so glad that I focused on this topic because there are nuances to this generation. And I am, the reason it, it kind of came top of mind prior to um, um, me doing this podcast was that I have a client who has a lot of millennials in their workforce. And he specifically said, hey, if you run into any information around the millennial generation, I want to know about it. And then this past January, this is uh, 2015, uh, I went to my a conference for my vendor partner, TTI. They have a big conference every year in Arizona. Go figure, I'd want to go to Arizona in January, right? Um, But awesome conference. Colleagues, um, friends, my assessment partner, I can learn everything about what they're doing new and the research, and it just helps me be a better consultant and facilitator being in the middle of, you know, one of my key partners. But while at that conference, I ran into a colleague that I had not seen in a while. Her name is Betty Price, and she is who we're interviewing today in this podcast. And she and I met back in 2005 when I first started working with my uh, vendor partner, TTI, and she had written a book called True Leaders that gave some research around Motivators and it, the podcast I did a while back or a few weeks back is uh, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash more motivation. And in that podcast, we talk about the motivators assessment and her book, True Leaders, gave me more insight back then, especially when I was learning the tool around um, the, each of the motivators. So ran into her. She and I talked for a while. She told me she had done this research on millennials, ding, 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 exactly what I needed to know about. I read her research, shared it with my um, client, and then decided to interview her for this broadcast. One of the things I've always liked about Betty is she's an idea person, she thinks outside the box, and yet she always backs up what she's doing with research. So I'm really glad that she's reconnected, and um, 
I'm really glad that I get to bring this interview to you. I just re-listened to it. We, She and I talked a couple weeks ago, and listening to it, I mean, there's some really good information in here. Here's what we're going to cover. We're going to talk about um, who's a millennial and how her research was conducted. We're going to look at the top motivators and driving forces for this generation. We're going to talk about some things that they want. And I'm going to give you eight specific tips, or Betty is, and I'm just going to recap them in the interview, for managing, retaining, and training Generation Y. All right, let's get to the interview. All right, we're getting started today. I'm excited to have Betty Price on the call today. Welcome, Betty. Well, welcome. Happy to be here. Yay, and your call, we're talking, you're in Dallas, Texas, is that right? I am. I'm in Dallas, Texas. Wonderful. So thanks for taking the time to, to uh, share your wealth of knowledge today and your research. Why don't we kick it off with you sharing a little bit about you, where you, what you work on, what you do, what's your background, so that folks can know more about Betty Price. Uh, sure. Well, um, I come from a journalistic background. I was a newspaper and television uh, reporter, and uh, so I just have that curious nature. And I've had my own management consulting company since 1987 and primarily focusing on leadership issues. And so uh, not only have I worked with leaders, but then uh, several years ago, a colleague and I, when times were getting kind of tough, uh, we were looking at what the difference was the companies that really seem to do well and those that seem to be having a lot of turnover. And what we discovered was that uh, they were leaders who really genuinely cared about people. So we went around the country and interviewed 27 CEOs and presidents who we determined to be uh, those leaders who build people as well as profits. And we published the results of that book in a uh, we, we published the results of that in a book called True Leaders uh, that came out in 2002, and it's now in seven languages. Wow, and that book is still available. People can find True Leaders online. Is that right, Betty? Uh, they can. It's it's old now, and uh, a couple of those companies aren't there but anymore, you know, as life goes on. Uh, but most of them are. The basic principles are sure still uh, still in play, probably more so today than ever. And one thing that I'll just chime in real quick about the book, True Leaders, because I have it and have read it, was uh, in one of our previous podcasts we talked about, it's uh, episode number two, uh, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash more motivators. Uh, we talked about that. Um, about workplace motivators and what they are. And I think that's a lot of what you cover in the true leaders. You talked about different leadership styles and different motivations. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I think we determined that behavior was certainly an element, but most of all it was what their motivators were. So we gave the motivator assessment to all 27 of those CEOs and, um, and were then pretty well able to take a sort of a general characteristics of what we're looking for in their values and motivation. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. So that book's still available and it relates to what we did in episode two. So just wanted to chime in about that because it ties in with some other things. So you are quite the researcher. You did that research on true leaders with the 27 CEOs and presidents. Tell us some more about you. Um, about that book or, or what, about what, can what kind of result what, of that? What's been your journey after that? What else have you done? 
Well, the interesting thing is that one of those CEOs was a a very young 30-year-old CEO, and uh, he really planted the germ of an idea that uh, later became my quest for what's the deal with these millennials, because he said that he had found a way to blend the knowledge and the talent of multi-generations to expand the performance and profits in his company. And... That just sort of stuck with me. For um, It made a real specific point because it was kind of unusual. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and then, of course, the more work that I did in the, in the field, the more I began to encounter uh, this young millennial and uh, people saying they were having problems with them and so forth. And um, I had a colleague in Missouri, and he had two millennial uh, children, and I actually had grandchildren who were millennials, and we thought they were pretty good kids. And so we got to talking about this, and and I sort of began some research on my own, and I coined a term that I called gen blending. And what that really was was the blending of knowledge and talent of the generations. And my inspiration there was Walt Disney because he said, when you blend the old with the new, you get new again. And I really thought that that was so uh, characteristic of the positive part of these millennials, that if you could really blend their new thinking and their new knowledge with that of a tried and true generation, you could do really incredible things. So uh, anyhow, we talked about it and decided to set off and do some research. And so we, for two years, we researched uh, over 500 uh, Gen Ys or Millennials. And we did only, we were looking from the leadership standpoint. Uh, Who are these young people that we're going to have to count on for leadership in the future? So we did only those that were in college and those that had already graduated college and were in their careers. And we did uh, uh, both uh, very quantitative and qualitative. So we did surveys. uh, We had them do the assessments, uh, the behavior and the motivators. wanted to see how they were against those uh, true leaders that were older than them. And we did the one-on-one interviews and focus groups. So it was really, it's, it's extremely complete data. Wonderful. So for those of us who don't pay attention to the generations, tell us what, um, I mean, I pay attention to it, but I don't know the the timeline. Who would be considered Gen Y millennial? What age group? Yeah, Gen Y and millennial, they're they're both the same thing. They just use that name. They call them Gen Y because they asked a lot of, you know, why, 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 why everything. Yeah, not just the letter Y, but W-H-Y, right? Right. So they just... uh, they they just started calling them the Y generation, and um, <laughs> um, now you'll find different uh, different dates that people put them in. But we were kind of purists, so we went with what the government said at that time, and so that was anybody between 1978 and 2000. So okay. now what you have is this big gener. It's it's one of the largest generations ever, and you know I think you're gonna like. With, with anything, find some differences in that leading edge part and those that are younger. But in essence, right now, you've got uh, millennials in the workplace that um, are, the oldest would be 37. And then right. the youngest that hasn't even begun to come in yet is 15. So, uh, so. Okay. 
So we've got good, you know, a pretty good healthy amount of them in the workplace right now. Yeah, so people in their 20s and in their 30s up to 37 are considered Gen Y and millennial. Yes. Okay. So I love your term, gen blending, and I love what you said about blending the old and the new, the talent and the knowledge of all generations. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's so important because, um, you know, if we can be open enough to hear, they come to the workforce with, um, you know, first of all, they're, they come educated today, and we all know that education changes so dramatically, and uh, the whole, you know, world in which we, all the tools that we need to work with <clears throat> are constantly improving, and yet we as older people have a certain amount of experience, and and so if we can blend those two things and we can cooperatively blend them, uh, pretty good things can happen. Yeah, and it's interesting you do hear, I have nephews who are just wonderful young men, and you said, you talked about your grandchildren, um, that they're doing really well, and your colleague that you did this research with, what's his name? Uh, Mark Holmes, and he lives in Springfield, Missouri. He's in Missouri. So uh, Mark said, you know, hey, my my girls are um, in that generation, and I see all kinds of talent. But you do hear, and I have heard it tangentially, you know, the people saying, you know, the Gen Y or millennials, they don't want to work, some negative connotations. And I always chalk it up to every generation does that. Everybody, every generation tends to think, well, the way they do it is great, and then the younger people just don't get it kind of thing. I don't know if, you know, that's – but apparently you had also heard where people were kind of not always appreciating the differences. Well, um, absolutely, and you're right. I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, when you and I grew up, was everybody in that generation great? You know, I mean, were there ever any jerks? (laughs) That's what I always (laughs) ask. And so, um, I mean, you're going to have different types in different generations. And unfortunately, um, you know, you have to look at how they, how these kids grew up. Um, I mean, it, it's also an era in which we uh, heard the term helicopter parent. And, yes, um, and, yes. You know, and, and we actually encountered in our research um, one instance where a uh, a young man who'd been hired at a law firm, he had his law degree, and he'd been hired by this law firm, and he went in for his first review, um, in, and he, it didn't go the way he would have hoped it went, and so he wouldn't sign his, well, you know how you have to sign a paper, and he wouldn't sign that. He wanted to come back, and so they said, fine, you know, come back, and when he came back, he brought his mother with him. Uh. You know, my question there is, do you blame the kid, or do you blame the mother? (laughs) You know? (laughs) (laughs) But what happened? Oh, those are all my friends. I didn't have children, but all of my friends did, and, and some of them are very hyper aware of what is happening, and I understand it. Yeah. I, you know, I understand it, but uh, yeah. So you can see why there's people who aren't from that generation could have some negative feelings towards or make some assumptions towards that generation with some yeah. of those behaviors. Anyway, yeah. But you know, you you can't. I mean, unfortunately, kids are going to be the way they were influenced as they grew up. Then they're going to hit the real world, and some of that is going to just 
you know, modify itself. So, you know, I say give them a chance, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting, your whole report, which I will put a link to in the show notes, um, is – it basically debunks a lot of the they're lazy they 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 aren't going to take um take responsibility so let's talk about that you you debunk a lot of that uh, naysaying that some of us may have heard or even said ourselves you interviewed 500 people who are in the gen y millennial generation they all uh had college degrees and are in their careers now you did all this research tell me what you found in your research what did you discover well that uh value motivational assessment that we used with the true leaders, um, we use that with this generation as well. And ironically, that value model, when you average it all out, is almost identical to the true leaders. Ooh, say more. Yeah, so what we found was that they had, um, their number one value was uh, results, getting results, making things happen, and that is very characteristic of them. They want to improve, to make better, so a lot of times they're, you know, this whole thing about why, 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 um, it isn't that they're being uh, nasty or anything. They want to know why because in their minds they think they can make things better. And so that all comes out of that uh, desire, that motivation to create results, make things happen, uh, return on investment of time. If I put my time in, by golly, I want this to have some good results. And, you know, it can reflect that that they also want to make money, but that isn't their only motivation. Um, Then secondly, they had a high social, and the social um, is that characteristic that says, I I really have an inherent and genuine caring of other people, and they are very team-oriented. They're they're very very caring. As a matter of fact, they're uh, probably going to be one of the most philanthropic uh, groups of people that we've ever seen. So... They are collaborative. Uh, They're less uh, interested in titles than they are getting the job done. And um, so the the difference there between the true leaders and them was that you have to remember that the true leaders were mostly in their late 50s, early 60s, had achieved. And so their social was the highest and their utilitarian was second. And so you just juxtapose those, and uh, which makes sense. These people are young, so they want to get results so that they can uh, do for the people that they care about. So those were the two most uh, striking things, I think, to me. So that's interesting, and you see that social philanthropic drive. It's interesting that you said they're less interested in titles, too. Oh, yeah. They- they're more inter- it sounds like they're just more into the work. Um, they, yeah, they just, they just want to contribute to the overall success. And so part of the misunderstanding of them is that um, in our traditional, especially in a large corporation, uh, we kind of have tracks, and what they say is they're put in a box. 
And they don't want to be put in a box. It's like this one young girl said, um, you know, we go to college, we get ourselves educated, they come and recruit us, and they're looking for the best of the best, and then they tell us that we are that, and they hire us, and then they put us in a box. And so they don't want to be put in a box. It's like uh, they're very well aware that there are certain things that they still have to learn, but they want to learn it experientially. And, you know, as, as trainers, we know them better than anybody else that experiential training is always much more uh, productive and it sticks better than just the book kind of learning. Um, so sometimes their eagerness to contribute or give uh, give ideas and so forth is taken as by someone who is older is oftentimes taken as uh, they're being arrogant or they're uh, being pushy. They just want to be a part of things. And, um, and they want to know how, you know, they want to know that they, that even if they do a little tiny job, that what they do contributes to a bigger whole result. <clears throat> For example, uh, one young man told us that he was asked to put together some uh, collateral for a presentation that the sales department was making. And he asked some questions and it was kind of like, well, you know, we don't have time just just put it together. And then it turned out that this work that he had worked on, this very menial kind of work that he had worked on, uh, was very much a part of what the sales group did to bring in this huge account. And he said, you know, if they would have just let me know what my role is and what the outcome would have accomplished, I would have been so much more enthusiastic about it because it wasn't the, the degree of my contribution, it was that I was contributing a small part to a big overall success. That makes sense. And, and when you think about when they're feeling like being put in a box, that's when they're being, for to them, and to, in the conversation that you had, being put in a box meant I um, am just putting these notebooks together, and I don't know where it fits in the big picture. So just go do these things. Don't ask questions. Just do it. Is that being put in a box to the, to the Gen Y generation? Well, yes, that would be. And, and it's also if, uh, you know, we, we tend to, uh, let's say that you're, um, for example, um, a young man told us that he was brought over here from Holland because he was bright and had all this background, you know, educational background in the industry. And they brought him back here to put him through a training program so that they could send him back to Holland to open a division. Well, they had a track, as our companies do. Um, And one of the things they put him in was sales. Well, he was in that track and doing his learning in that track for a few weeks. And you know, he's bright, and he felt he was a quick learner, and he said, okay, I've got this now, and this isn't what I'm going to be doing, so can I now move over into engineering? And they said, oh, no, because, you know, they have this track, and, and uh, you know, six more weeks would be included. And so, you know what he did? He what? He went home to Holland. 
Nope, that's being put in a box. You've got to do these standards because this is what we always do, not that it, whether it makes sense or not. Right. Well, and the other thing is if you're, um, whatever your job is, you know, you've got your job description. And right. if you wanted to contribute to something that was outside of that, it's like, no, that's not your job. Just do your job. That is definitely being put in a box. Yeah. So they want to constantly learn. I, if I could rename this generation, I'd call them the learning generation. Ah, the learning generation. But it's interesting. It sounds like their motivators were the uh, business person motivator was number one, social altruistic, you know, being of service was second. So maybe was the learning the third or no? Um, yes, the knowledge was the knowledge was their third. So they they're just constant sponges for knowledge. Yeah. And knowledge to them isn't necessarily mean um, formalized training programs. As a matter of fact, um, kind of relating again to that put in the box thing, uh, just because they got their degree in a specific area doesn't mean uh, to them that they have to always be in that area in industry. Uh, you know, they, they kind of feel like getting their degree is just their entrance into the workforce. If I get a degree, it shows you that I'm uh, fairly bright. I just got through college. I graduated. So I can learn. So don't put me in a box in just this area. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, there's the don't put me in the box again. Yeah, uh -huh. so a little bit more free So if people are very rigid or in the motivator speak, um, and again, that, that episode is pricelessprofessional.com forward slash more motivation. You'll see that, uh, the show notes from that. But we describe the six different motivators there. Um, in the motivator speak, that's kind of a regulatory type of uh, uh, culture where they're saying, okay, this is the way it is. It's very black and white. Follow these rules. Follow these processes. And it sounds like with the, particularly with the Gen Y group, that drive is not as uh, – doesn't, doesn't help them or make them want to stay. Right. So um, the learning point here for business is that um, – if you're a large corporation, you're going to be highly structured. Um, there's probably going to be a limited few of this generation that are going to be uh, your company will appeal to. They're going to be um, much more likely to like a small to mid-sized company because while there's structure in every organization, um, <clears throat> the small to mid-sized company doesn't isn't layered so much and it doesn't have uh, the numbers of people. So it's much more realistic that if you go to work for a small to mid-sized company that you can kind of overlap into different areas and not be quite so boxed in. Yeah, that would give them the experiential learning. It would be allow them to kind of think outside the box. Uh, so that's good news for small to mid-sized companies. I Real think good it's news. great news. Yeah. Yeah. And the larger companies, um, you have any advice for them in regard to being so highly structured, some things that they could do that would help this generation, uh, you know, kind of help them train, uh, retain, lead this generation? Well, it, they just have to think 
more, you know, you hear the flattened organization, and I think, yeah. um, well, certainly the bigger the organization is, you've got to have structure, but there has to be some element of flattening so that you can allow that flexibility for uh, people to float into areas that they have an interest in. So part of that just means you, you really have to know this person you hired, you have to really understand what their motivations are, and you really have to listen to them and take time to interact with them and use those active listening skills. You know, one of the reasons I haven't tuned into this so much and uh, was because I tended to think, and I still do a little bit, in that everybody needs a lot of that, you know. So everybody needs, I'd like my boss to listen to me. I want to have a conversation. Does somebody care about me at work? Do I trust them? So I have always kind of clicked uh, into that thought process. Okay, it's just, it's just stuff every organization needs to do. But it sounds like what you're saying is it's even more important, whereas my generation, if we don't have trust or somebody's not listening to us, we may or may not leave. This generation, if they don't get it, chances are very high that they're going to leave and not participate or you won't be able to keep them. Is that what you say are saying and thinking? Uh well, I mean, that definitely, it's, you know, we've seen that happen. And, of course, when we first came out with this research, um, a lot of companies really weren't interested. Um, and if you can look at a few years ago where the economy had gone down, a lot of people had been laid off, jobs were uh, a lot harder to get. And so there sort of developed an attitude of why do we care what they're like? They ought to be glad they have a job. Well, yeah. that was very short-term thinking because um, all you have to do is look at the demographics and the reality is uh, the, all of those positions of leadership um, are pretty much, have, have pretty much been filled by people who are getting older and that's the one thing you can't stop. You know, I mean, yeah, keep it going. <laughs> and so if we don't bring them in and groom them and get them ready to, to take over those positions, uh, we're going to be cut short down, down the road. And so in some industries, you're seeing them really scramble at this point. Uh, oil and gas is a perfect example. You know, they... They just didn't do a good job of bringing in this younger generation and, and grooming them to, to move up. And they're certainly not alone. And, uh, you know, a lot of companies will tell you now that they've really gotten on this bandwagon. They're looking at it. But <clears throat> um, they are the future, whether you like it or not. They're the future. So we better get the best of them and get them on our company. Yeah, yes. Very good. Very good. So, specific tips. We've talked a little bit about things that employers can do. We've, you've talked about the fact that small to mid-sized companies have a little bit of an edge because they're less structured. But um, some of the tips are um, experiential learning. I'm just looking back at some right. of our conversations. I'm sure you can add to it. I'm just going to recap. So, they value experiential learning, which is basically learning on the job, getting exposed to new experiences. They value... How, knowing how they fit into the big picture, so that sounds like to me more conversation, more inclusive, more transparency. Um, and then if they can work in a flattened organization, 
um, that helps meet some of those needs. Say some more about somebody's listening to this call right now, either training millennials or they're leading millennials or trying to get millennials to stay. Say some more about specific things that organizations and leaders can do. Well, one of the things that companies don't like too well is this generation, um, we, we coined this as part of our uh, research, uh, to them time is clockless. Um, what really counts is results. And so um, they, they're not likely to feel real good about you have to be here nine to five. Now some, you know, it's, it's realistic that some jobs are going to require someone to be right there, but not every job does. And so this kind of also enters into that trust factor because, you know, trust is just a must with them. They've been raised in a generation where um, they feel that they're, <clears throat> There was a lot of distrust, you know, parents who gave their life to the company and then got laid off. So um, we want to do things to establish trust. And one of those ways is to um, allow them the tell them what tell them what the deadline is, uh, make sure they understand what the outcome is, and then be flexible. Uh, you know, it's like one said, if I um, if I've got kids and I want to go to my kid's softball game, I want to be able to go to that softball game. I want to leave early and go to that softball game, and I'll get that done. I'll, if, you t if this is when the deadline is, I'll get it done, and you have to trust me to do that. But don't just make me sit there to sit there, you know. Right, so, right. A little more and the flexibility. Willing to kind of say, okay, I've got to work nine to five because that's just what we've always had. They saw it where their parents did that and they didn't always get rewarded. And so they have, it as a generation, said, okay, we're not going to do that. Yeah, and they want this balance. They they want, you know, I mean, balance, total balance, we know, is, is kind of an oxymoron. But, um, but they will do what they need to to have balance. And so... They expect that when they're working. Also, this whole thing about micromanaging. I mean, the reality is nobody likes to be micromanaged, but um, our generation uh, just didn't like to be micromanaged. If we had a, a manager who micromanaged, uh, we, you know, probably <laughs> disappointed him every now and then. But this <laughs> yeah. generation, they see micromanaging from a trust standpoint. And I think we have to understand that. So they're not saying, um, I don't want to be micromanaged because I don't want you breathing over me. But they feel that if they are micromanaged, that you don't trust them. And trust is a huge issue. So um, we want to do things in working with them that demonstrate that we have a trust for them. Um, they have to earn that trust, but but we have to give them that opportunity. Um, the other thing is that uh, because they're so tech savvy, uh, there's a tendency to think that they don't need personal interaction, and that's not at all the case. Uh, they want feedback. They want to know how they're doing. They want to have that interaction. And so uh, one young man gave the example that he had been in a, conference with his boss, and then uh, five minutes later, here came an email from his boss telling him all the things he thought he did wrong. 
And he said, oh. I was just in his office five minutes ago. Why didn't he tell me that face-to-face so we could talk about it and I could find out, you know, what do I need to do? You know, if that was not right, what do I need to do to correct it? But instead, he sends me an email. So yeah, which we never can't good to assume. Yeah. Yeah. Did, so we can't that... assume that they look want technology. Ah, yep. That boss, that didn't work. I bet that employee left. And then uh, once they're hired, you know, and in a smaller company, we tend not to have such a formalized onboarding experience. But in a larger company, we, you know, they all have this onboarding process. And um, if the onboarding experience doesn't match what they were promised in their interview, uh, that's going to establish distrust almost immediately. Interesting. Which I think happens a lot. Yep. So um, those would be some things that, you know, um, I think just developing a team attitude so that they understand, you know, um, when you have a decision-making meeting that you wouldn't normally put them in, well, put them in the meeting. Uh, let them be exposed to it. Listen to what they might have to say. You know, it's amazing. You might hear something that's really important. <laughs> They might contribute a good idea. Yeah, don't put them in a box. Yes. So involve them. And, you know, engage them. Ask them what they think. Um, It's just, again, it's all of those things to uh, make them feel that they are a valued part of that organization, that they're not just there as a tool to do a specific job. Right, which ditto for every employee in a company. Not you know, not just an object where you're valued, you're important, your ideas matter. And it's interesting when you look at your research. I just pulled out some of your statistics, which will be, as I mentioned earlier, in the show notes. Eighty nine percent said they want to have their ideas heard, and you know, eighty two percent will leave their job if their boss failed to value their opinions. You know, that has always shown up in the. Um, uh, Gallup surveys when they're talking about engagement, you know, my my opinions matter. Just with the general, anybody, you know, my opinions matter. Someone yeah. cares what I think. So that showed up in spades for this generation. Yeah. So um, they they really, if we can just kind of keep in our mind that this is a, um, they want to contribute. They want to be. Uh, know that they're part of an overall result, some some overall result. Even if it's playing a small role, they want to know that they've contributed to make something better or make something good happen. And, uh, you know, age, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about the, the difference in generations, but um, this generation actually has more respect for their elders than any other generation has. Wow, it's all about that. Well, it's all about uh, being able, if it's a respect issue. Um, What's interesting is that if you sit down and talk with a Gen Wire and you begin to ask them questions and you begin to interact, then they start asking you questions and they're great. They, They have great respect for you. But what happens too often is 
pretty much that attitude of, well, uh, well, honey, you just don't know because, you know, I've been here for 20 years and you just don't know. And so when that attitude comes across, that is perceived as disrespectful and and then it creates a wedge. So it, it's all about respect. It's really all about respect. That makes so much sense. It ties in with every bit of the statistics you have here. So it's interesting. I hope that when people are listening to this, if they've had in their mindset, oh, that generation's not not uh, contributing or they're hard to work with, I mean, you shine a whole nother light on what they want because it, it talks about why they want it. And it sounds like a very sincere, you know, like a great combination. I've got the business mindset and I care about the people and I love to learn, um, which are attributes you want in every employee. So it's just a matter of people shifting their mindset and not assuming that when they're trying to expand that it's because that's out of arrogance. It's more out of an earnestness to grow and expand themselves. That's right. And to and they want to be proud about helping to um, expand whatever that uh, organization's outcomes are that are the positive outcomes. Um, they want things to be significant. They want to make a significant contribution. They want to seem significant. They want that company that they work for to appear significant. Okay, that's great. That is real good insight and it really does uh, turn the turn the look or the focus on um, what you can do and where their mindset is. Now, if organizations have people or have leaders that they want to hear this information, um, do you go and do work with organizations around this, kind of helping them put programs in place? Um, or tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes, I... Or- um, I'm, I'm always thrilled to be able to go in and, and share our research and, of course, the experience that has come as a result of that. And, um, and one of the most powerful things that I've begun doing is um, doing the uh, coaching for millennials because, you know, it's as important that you coach them, and they can't be coached in just your traditional way. You have to go into that having an understanding of that millennial so that you are handling the development of them in a better way. So it's been extremely um, rewarding to see a boss who really wants to develop that young person and gives them the opportunity to be coached in a positive way and then to be able to bring the rest of the group together like that. Oh, that's awesome. So you've been doing that. And then with the coaching, you say it's different, and that is by just understanding as the coach uh, their eagerness, uh, maybe their assertiveness around things and helping foster that and showing them how, is that some of the things you get into, how to foster that? And um, you say it's different from traditional coaching. Um, is it, is, how is it different? Well, I say it's different because of all the things we just talked about. If if I'm a coach and I've been sort of trained to be a traditional coach, um, yes, I want to listen and so forth, but I I need to understand the nuances of this generation so that I approach them with some of that knowledge 
rather than just going in from a standpoint. You know, let's take somebody in a in a baby boom generation um, who was moving up the ladder. The drive then was pretty much all about um, what's my next step? How can I make the next thing? That isn't necessarily so with this generation. Right. So, so I, if I have that knowledge, I may approach them in a in a little softer way, and I may uh, find out. You know, I'm more apt to find out. Well, what is success to them, and and how then can that equate to their uh, doing their job in that company, and then. I can use that information to help their boss to see how to deal with them more effectively. Got it. So it has to do with they're not looking at how to go up the next step. It's more about the big picture and how they contribute, everything you've said. And you're right, a lot of traditional coaching is, okay, now how do you get to the next step? I mean, that's what a lot of it is. Or how do you get out of trouble in your current role? I mean, it's a mix of that. Um, And with these folks, it's more about, helping them define what success is and helping everybody around them understand what success is to that person. Awesome. Now, Betty, when we started uh, the call, you said something about something you were doing with the group that you were very excited about, and it sounded like it might be a good example of um, some organizations, what they're doing with this information. I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, yes, I'm working with a, a financial corporation here in Dallas, and they have been developing their entire internal sales department. You know, internal sales is one of the fastest growing areas of uh, employment, and um, and so they began by, uh, now these are people who obviously have to be well-educated and they have to be licensed because we're dealing with uh, funds. And so uh, we have everyone that we've put into that department has been a millennial. And it's been fascinating. It's kind of, I, I, I tell the manager that he's my little um, research pool. Yay! <laughs> and yeah. So, and um, and the interesting thing is that, um, uh, I mean, you and I both use assessments that we feel very um very loyal to and feel that they are very valuable. And I think the assessments have become even more valuable today. Uh, They've always been helpful, but with this generation, they're really helpful. And Uh. particularly that that motivator side. Um, And so because when we only, so many assessments look at only the behavioral part, and that's great, but the, the greatest thing is, you know, somebody can, behave and they can have all the skills and seem like they can sell, but if they're not motivated to create results, they're just not going to be your top producer. And so what was interesting was that they had hired just kind of a handful of people before they brought me into this project. And so it was very easy for me to identify which of those that they'd already hired were probably going to not not perform. And sure enough, they were the ones that didn't perform. Uh, <laughs> so what we've begun to do is kind of build a, um, you know, a format for what we're uh, we're looking for. And 
it's amazing to see how they are all getting along. And then the manager of the department has just been like a, a role model for doing all the right things. So he uses all their individual reports and, the, and what we talk about on how to motivate each one of them. He really uses that, and as a oh, result, I've awesome. never seen such a cohesive department, um, and they're just humming along, and and um, so it's been about a year now, and so we've got a pretty good template of, of what he needs to add to the department, and it's just great to see. And they're all young, you know, they're all the millennials, and they yep. love showing up every day. Yep. Oh, is that awesome? When it's a fit that works and it's, you know, how you're managed and here's somebody who's tuning into their motivational needs, which is if you were going to summarize this, uh, this group, it's that they want people to tune into them. And a big part of it is what are their drivers and are they being met? So that's, that's interesting. Right. Back to this story, because it was an excellent one to share, this uh, success case or case study. Um, the people who were not performing, they obviously had a low utilitarian economic. You called it the result. Yes. But that's the, right, that's the low. Right. And I think the number is, and I don't know if it's still true, but the statistics I had were 82% of all top sales performers are high utilitarian and they're number one. Is that what you, the research you still have? Uh, yes, and, and, and it just makes common sense. You know, yep. um, it's kind of like, I mean, I always give the example. It's like the guy who uh, uh, had the skill to play the piano, but he didn't want to play it. You know, yep. what good does it have you to do the skill? Yes, you can do it, you know, um, but if if you're not really passionate about it and you don't have that drive, um, then what good is it? You know, you're never going to be a top performer if you don't really have the drive to do that. Yep. That's a perfect example, too. So that is uh, sounds like a great success, and it's great to hear. We run these reports, and we spend a lot of time getting people up to speed individually and, uh, and forming the leaders, but you don't always see the leaders actually take it and use it. Um, they use pieces of it, but it sounds like this leader just has run with it, and he's, seen, he's netting all the results of it. Which is awesome. Uh, he's my poster child. Uh, I tell him <laughs> you're my poster child. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the year, um, I got an email from him, and he, and he said, "I've misplaced my own paper report. Could you please send it to me because I need to set my goals for the new year?" <laughs> so he's even using so, it for himself, which I just think is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, which is what I do for myself. That's why I love. You know, you got to find it for yourself first, and then you can help other people yep. find it. You know, and orient yep. around that. So that is really good. So, Betty, how can people get in touch with you um, for either having some conversations about their team or uh, anything else that you've discussed here? What's the best way to reach you? Um, well, I, I can always be called, and that's 972-898-1552. Um, or email me at Betty, and that's Betty with an E, B-E-T-T-E, at PriceGroupLeadership.com. Great. And all of that information will be in the show notes, so people will be able to go there and get your phone number and get your um, email address. And uh, let's just close with maybe some final thoughts. I've got uh, millennials on my team, and what's something I can go do tomorrow? That would, or this afternoon, if I'm listening to this, uh, what could I go do right away that will make an impact? 
Well, I think, you know, some some people with a very outgoing personality, they probably don't need to be told this, but a lot of times we have the bosses who are more in that high C analytical category. So um, my best advice is uh, really get to know your millennials, and the easiest way is uh, do a little small talk. Um, yes. You know, we, we tend to, everything is about business, but where we really get to know the individual is if we can have a little bit of small talk. So, um, you know, if uh, golf is their game, you want to ask them, how's your golf game going? And if fishing is it, or if they are a, a biker, or, you know, just something personal to develop a little bit of small talk, and if you can engage frequently in some little part of small talk, uh, you'll begin to see the real them coming out and develop more rapport between all of you. Great advice. We're on it, and we really appreciate you, Betty. This is great information, and your research will be attached to the show notes. And um, thanks for all that you shared today. Well, thanks for uh, letting me participate. I'd love to share it. Awesome. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Betty. And you can find her contact information and recap of all the information she shared, as well as a PDF copy of her research. at. And here's where you go. PricelessProfessional.com forward slash slash. Can't seem to say that word today. Uh, G-E-N-Y, letter Y, Gen Y, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash G-E-N-Y, all lowercase. And so, so glad you tuned in today. I hope that you got some information that will be helpful to you as you're leading and managing the millennial employee. And the one thing that you can begin doing right away, what we closed with, is just a reminder to get to know these folks. Ask them about their personal life, engage frequently, get to know who they really are. And, and of course, we want to do that as much as possible with all of our employees. Tune in. It's tuning in. Um, Gallup tells us that uh, people are engaged when they feel like their opinions matter, when they have someone at work who cares about them, when someone is tuned into them, all in key important tools and keys as a leader. They're the softer side of business and they're really important to business, and it's really important to this generation. If you want to learn more about the workplace motivators that we referenced in this interview, there's a podcast on that. It's pricelessprofessional.com forward slash more motivation. And so when you go to either one of those pages to look at the show notes and Download. You can also subscribe to this podcast. I'd love for you to do that if it's interesting to you. If you subscribe, that means that you'll be able to listen to it on your phone or on your computer. You can do it by RSS feed so you get a notice every time there's a new podcast. And you can do it via a podcast app, either Stitcher on Android or the podcast app on your iPhone. So when you go to the show notes, you'll see a place to subscribe to the podcast. You can also connect with me on Twitter. I'm pretty relatively active on Twitter and Facebook and, of course, on LinkedIn. I have a newsletter where I do um, updates and information every month. You might want to stay in connection there. And you can also give me some feedback. So at the bottom of every page where I have my notes for each podcast, there's a place for you to give me some feedback. Maybe something you liked, maybe a suggestion to make it better, maybe an idea for a um, podcast. Maybe you want to be interviewed or you have some 
research or information that would be helpful to um, leaders and trainers and consultants who are involved in employee selection and professional development. I might want to talk to you. So um, open to any and all feedback. Thank you for turning, tuning in. I'm enjoying doing this podcast. It's my fourth episode. I hope I'm getting a little better. I've been working on trying to speak more directly into the microphone and have a less tinny sound. It's definitely a process, and there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but I sure do enjoy doing it. I love um, talking to people who have information to share. I love to share information, and I'm just so glad that you've tuned in and are a part of this with me. So thank you very much. I look forward to our next episode, and I just did this interview last week, and we're going to talk about um, the myths that we have in the world of professional development. So I've got um, an author who's written a book. It's actually a digital book, but it's The Dark Secret of Human Resource Development. And we do some myth busting on that um, podcast. So I'm eager to share that with you. Until we speak again, take care. And remember, it's pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Gen Y, G-E-N-Y. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 